Hard ticket to Hawaii. It has it all. The awesome, pristine beauty of the land. The warm caress of perfect beaches. The tantalizing wetness of the blue Pacific. Hawaii. It's a great place to visit. But you wouldn't want to die there. Four of America's finest ready and willing to pay the price for paradise. They're undercover, but not under-equipped. On this mission, there's hard flying, hard playing, hard fighting. Agents are everywhere. Hula. It's a hard ticket to Hawaii. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Reconsidimation. I'm your host, John Diner. I'm David Munchak. I'm Brent Hutchins. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And that's right. The sizzling summer of sensational cinematic shenanigans continues with a, we have a blockbuster today, guys. And uh, we are, by the way, we are live from the Reconsina Jacuzzi because that's where we do our best thinking. That's right. Thanks. <laughs> and uh, for this, uh, this grand film, we needed one of our top agents to return. That's right. Welcome back to the show, E.K. Wimmer from Laser Graves. Hey, hey, All guys. Right. Hey. Good to see you. What do you think of my Speedo? <laughs> it looks good. It is perfect. <laughs> okay, it's a perfect. hard ticket to... Oh, wait. <laughs> hey, guys. Oh. Good to be back. Yeah, it's been it's been a minute, I think, since, you, since you've been on. It's... Uh, it's been a little bit and we're, we've missed you and uh, very, very glad you could join us for this endeavor. Yeah. What was the last one? The thing maybe? Was that the last time? Jeez, was it? No, it, it, was, uh, it was. There was something else after the thing. It was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 Well, when I found out um, what you guys were doing this week, I... I had no choice. There was, there was, I had it, to it, hop on my miniature helicopter and get over here ASAP. It was, it was not an option <laughs> because we are covering the Andy Sedaris film, Hard Ticket to Hawaii. All right. Who's okay. heard of it? Who, yeah. who, out, who Contain to your excitement. And it's crickets it. out there. <laughs> the classic. Nah. We're going to introduce a lot of people to this movie, but hey. Oh, yeah. Hey, we, we had a big episode year, a few years back in season two when we talked about Avenging Force, and that was a canon film that many people uh, did not know about, and then they did after our show. So uh, the, the rentals skyrocketed for it afterwards, <laughs> and I think we're hoping to do the same. Another classic. 
Um, hard yeah. ticket to Hawaii and Andy Sedaris. This is like, so, so welcome to the ASCU. This is the Andy Sedaris cinematic universe, uh, also known as bullets, bombs, and babes or lethal ladies. Oh, the, the triple B series. Yeah. Yep. The triple B series. Uh, Andy Sedaris is a, is a phenomenal phenomenon, really, uh, quite a character. Yeah, it's it's really I, I've always found him once I discovered him. I, I I think it's so fascinating that this this man like created his own like fundraised for his own films, shot them himself, distributed them himself. They were completely his films. And he to this day as a state owns all of them. It's really well, what's it, incredible is that there's 12 of them. Yes. <laughs> There's wow. 12 movies in the in in this uh, franchise, right? That is correct. Yeah. Wow. It, yeah. I'd say what else is incredible is that Marvel ripped him off and created their own universe it's... when they saw how important his films were. Yeah. And the the potential for profits that they said we got to hop on this train. Absolutely. The build to end game was really <laughs> just. <laughs> just taken straight out of the Andy Sedaris playbook. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's I, a good playbook. I see your point. I mean, yeah. Marvel, a bunch of posers <laughs> trying to convince the world that they were the first to do it. What's the, what's that about? Does yeah. this, does this universe cross over a lot in the, the Sedaris verse? Is there a lot of like, Oh yeah. Similar oh, characters? Yeah. yeah. Well, all the, all the films are connected. Technically it's one, you know, it's one ongoing storyline about this agency and, uh, they, they're, 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 I, we don't know what this agency really is. It's like the DEA, uh, but we never really learn, I think, a lot more than that. But these special agents and uh, some of them, like, like one of the stars of our film tonight, Donna Spear, uh, is in, I think, six or seven of the films. And then, and some of the others are in two or three. And then Julie Strain kind of takes over for the second half once. Uh, Donna kind of steps away from the franchise, but, um, and there's always, you know, certain characters cross over uh, quite a bit. And sometimes they change actors, completely change actors of different races and cultures. And now they're different, you know, but they're the same character. So it doesn't matter. It's basically like the better version of James Bond, right? There you go. That's exactly yeah, sure that everybody if, if you, would agree. If you, were to, agree if you were to summarize it, yeah, uh, the better version of James Bond seems, yeah. seems it's the R rated James Bond. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I would I would tend to 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 liken this kind of to uh the trauma verse, right? Like it's just kind of this yeah. kind of insane group of people who continue to make these movies over and over again and they find a, a niche and like people love them there are fans out there of of the hard well it's the the triple b series you know i mean it's it's a cult kind of kind of mm -hmm. status thing similar similar to the the trauma fans and you know all the all the characters there and you know toxic avenger and all and all that group so uh, I kind of, when watching this kind of felt like, oh, this reminds me a lot of like that kind of filmmaking approach and the people that really attach themselves to it are kind of, you know, the ones that really like to deep dive into this B kind of 
genre of of filmmaking or or sub B genre of filmmaking in some cases. But uh, but yeah, it's certainly a shit ton of fun. Mm-hmm. Well, and of all of the Sedaris films, uh, this is really the masterpiece right here. This is the one that it's got the right mix of characters and crazy. I mean, crazy plot devices and uh, action scenes. It's it's uh, I think the most if you'd call it well-rounded out of all the uh, out of all the Sedaris films. But I think we should. Why don't we before we get into the movie, let's talk a little bit about Andy Sedaris and and just because he's such a fascinating character. And then we'll come back and start really diving into I think the best way is to really just kind of walk through this movie uh, because there are so many beats to. Uh, comment on so uh andy sedaris uh was a he came up in sports television production so he and it really starting in the 1950s uh he was involved with the creation like he was the one of the main directors for almost every major sporting event through the 1950s and 60s and into the early 70s like he was uh one of the main creative forces behind ABC's wide world of sports, uh, multiple winter and summer Olympics, uh, the creation of Monday Night Football. He's the guy who supposedly invented, you know, how modern football was, you know, specifically football was covered, that you would put the cameras in different places, you'd put the cameras in the end zones, you'd have cameras all along the side and not just at that one stationary position we were seeing the whole field. So he was used over and over again. Um, I don't know if this is completely proven, but he does does call it out in his autobiography, which I have right here. <laughs> um, that uh, uh, he filmed the football sequences for the movie, the movie version of MASH oh. and never received credit for it. And there was a, technical sort of loophole and something that happened that that uh, Robert Altman kind of held his credit back. But um, Mm. supposedly he shot that he shot uh, certain scenes for two minute warning, like he was kind of all over the place and a lot of uh, racing, uh, you know, footage was all shot by him. Um, He's also credited with an important shot that would be a precursor to all the films he would do after. Do tell. This is a this is a big hint at where his career is going to go. What is that shot, EK? Well, he is the inventor of and there's a couple different names for it, but I know it as the honey shot. Is that what you know it as? Oh, yeah. Yes. That is the zeroing in on the cute chicks or the cute cheerleaders and pointing them out and basically bringing awareness to the babes in the crowd and that it comes as zero surprise when you know his films that come oh yeah that is uh (laughs) that's the first uh step in in the the whole world that he's going to end up in but uh he uh he was so successful as a director um for so many years that he ended up buying a property in hawaii you know moved some of his operation to hawaii and started self-financing uh, his own film projects. He wanted to start moving into films and movies, and he didn't want to, you know, work under the the thumb of a studio and was able to do it. So I give him a lot of credit for for actually figuring out how to do that and, and having the guts to uh, to move forward with that. 
it's pretty i mean it's just pretty incredible it's like it's it's like like if wes anderson went and just completely lived on an island and did his movies i mean he does them the way he wants to do them now but they're still kind of you know there's there's some level of studio involvement yeah so, you can look up a budget for a wes anderson film you can't normally look up a budget for yeah. for andy's films they're they're kind of private about all that and and credit to his wife for being the partner in crime and being like seeing his ideas of scantily clad men and women running around on hawaii and being totally cool with it i mean that's they really were kind of a team effort to, to pull all this off not right away she wasn't in there from the beginning but she came on shortly after yeah yeah she wasn't i think the first couple of films uh after starting seven i think is when she came on maybe at yeah. malibu express i want to say or something. malibu was the first one so malibu yeah. express was 1985 and then hard ticket is the second film in the series uh 1987 yeah. so so she comes in somewhere in there yeah so i mean because this is like this is uh this is giving people what they want right a beautiful scantily clad people in a beautiful location action lots of skin uh you know and you and it's not complicated I, I guess right so this is like it's cheap and then i guess but i guess you they must have sold really well right i mean I, is most of this like direct like the rent you know yeah video stores and like you know cinemax late, late night yeah I guess. It's, it's direct to video and direct to cable tv this is this is right in the mid 80s where cable tv is really starting to catch fire and uh and so home video was huge already by this point so yeah. and just and it was being and it was being distributed on larger home video distribution companies too not like oh. small label independent it was coming out on top of the line so so the numbers out there of those those videos getting put into video rental stores were very high too so oh. even though he was financing it himself he had very good connections to get the video market, which is where it would really take off originally. And speaking on the end of, of the VHS world, like I always do, his films are extremely desirable, especially once you have one, everybody wants to have them all. And some are cheaper than others to get. But uh, most people I know who like his stuff make a, a real effort to try and own everything he's done on VHS because they're just fun to see on a shelf altogether because they are a franchise. They're their own universe and they do go well as a grouping versus just a one-off. Yeah. And it, like, and that's the, the, that, that kind of part of the business, that market of, of like of cheap movies sold for, sold for whatever made so at such a low price, like, like it's such a smart thing to do, but it's like, if that's not something that's widely publicized, like, you know, he can make his, his own small fortune, but he's not a publicly traded company, part of a studio, a major studio or anything. So it's always interesting. Like he to, to look at like how he created his own little business model and industry and made it like easy. Like here's some disposable, disposable, sexy movies. Um, and I'm doing, and I'm going to do it my way. And then, to make massive profit off that, I imagine. I, I can only imagine that this increased his fortune. I, I'm not. Oh I yeah, wouldn't... absolutely. I mean, it, it had to. Again, like like Ek was saying, the Arlene Sedaris, his wife, uh, now really runs the whole enterprise, and and she's yeah. never released you know numbers and information about what their budgets were, what their profits were. But I, it, it just it appears that they made a ton of money. I don't know yeah. how they couldn't have. 
one thing I'd like to point out too, that I think is pretty brilliant about his whole business model is intentionally creating a universe that people, once they know one of his films and they laugh at it and they have a good time, when they see that the same special agents are showing up for another sequel, he's already primed an audience to want to rent another movie. Whereas I think the mistake a lot of independent filmmakers do is try and create a brand new film from scratch every time. And you're trying to sell an unknown to an unknown audience every time. Whereas he basically said, here's my formula, take it or leave it. And once people knew what to expect, they were looking forward to the next film that he was putting out because now they knew the characters, they knew the overarching storyline. And I thought that was really, really smart from an independent point is he was making his job easier to sell something that people feel like they already now know. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, this is, this is right in the mid eighties where action movies are getting huge. Um, Playboy is huge. And he's made a deal with Playboy that he's going to, he has access to the Playboy playmates. He has to wait. I think it's two years after their, you know, their centerfold had run. So there's a little bit of a gap, but still that's not that long. Um, so he has access to all these beautiful women and, you know, with pitching beautiful women in a big action movie in 1985 and 87 and 88 and nine, like that's, uh, that's, how is that not going to sell like crazy? And he right. was smart and, not to put it in theaters because it probably wouldn't have done well in theaters. Yeah. Right. You know, like he also brought in, you're, you're competing with in Arnold and, and, and Stallone and all of that at the time. He also brought in really good looking guys too. And that needs to be stated too, is that usually yeah. it's really good looking women with like crusty old dudes, but he's appealing to, he's smart. He's really appealing. And it's probably his wife's input as well of saying, let's co corner both markets because I could see a guy going and renting this, putting it on and his wife being like, man, um, them those are some good looking dudes as well. Let's watch another one of these. Whereas it had it been more lopsided, I don't think it maybe would have appealed to a wider audience. So he was smart. He wasn't just playing one angle. He was covering all his bases. Uh, all right. So why don't we why don't we dial the way back machine, Brent? Take us back to March 1987. What's happening in the world besides WrestleMania three? Because everyone knows that. <laughs> yeah, I think we talked about that already <laughs> once before. Our, our Rocky three episode was dominated by WrestleMania three talk. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. 1987, a uh, bunch of stuff was going on. So uh, in October of 87, there was a huge stock market crash that affected the global economy. Uh, they referred to it as Black Monday. But there was also the INF Treaty, uh, which I don't know if you guys recall, but the that stands for the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, which is uh, when the United States and the Soviet Union uh, kind of signed a treaty to eliminate a certain class of nuclear missiles. Uh, the uh, U.S. and Russia decided to put an end to that, which was uh, at the time, I think, a pretty big deal and spawned uh, Superman 4, which we all know is, you know, the, the probably, quest for peace, <laughs> probably the least great of the Christopher Reeve versions uh, of Superman. Mind, but, uh, mind, mind you, that is a canon film. Well, mm -hmm. hey, you yeah. know what? I mean, Canon's known for quality. That's exactly. What, that's what. <laughs> that's what fun. the C stands yeah, that's for. That's what the C stands <laughs> for. <laughs> the the movies from that year. So, 
Academy Awards Best Picture was The Last Emperor by uh, Bernardo Bertolucci. Top other movies for that year, box office-wise, Three Men and a Baby, which we've talked about at depth before. Uh, Fatal Attraction was a big one. Beverly Hills Cop, Good Morning Vietnam. Beverly Hills Uh, Cop 2. Beverly Hills Cop 2, correct, yes. Um, Lots of great movies that year. Uh, Untouchables, Stakeout, Lethal Weapon. Uh, You mean Richard Dreyfuss's Stakeout? Your favorite. Your favorite Richard Dreyfus. I'm, I'm so there. Yeah. <laughs> you watch that one over and over again. In between the next uh, movie in the Triple B franchise. You just, you pace it out with. Uh, exactly. With the yeah. Of, of Stakeout. Yep. Uh, 87's popular songs, Walk Like an Egyptian, uh, With or Without You. Uh, and uh, I Want to Dance with Somebody. Top TV shows. We've talked about these before. I'll actually say his name this time, but the Cosby show still number there one, uh, Roseanne cheers, golden girls, uh, bunch of, bunch of shows, growing pains, night court. Who's the boss, uh, which Tony Dan's a classic. Did you put werewolf uh, on that list? Because it, it should be on there. It, you know, it made it on the much more important list of shows that Fox canceled way too soon. Uh, but I didn't, uh, bring that to talk about today, but yeah. we've talked about it before. Yeah. So check it out in the archives at reconsumation.com. Yeah. I thank uh... Chat GPT for all that information. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually who I am right now. I'm not even here. I'm in bed right now. This is AI. Say this in AI the style of Yeah. <laughs> all right. That'll be, that'll be next episode. <laughs> so shifting to our our feature film of the, of the week here david what oh. the hell is happening in hard ticket to hawaii is it oh. possible to sum it up uh <laughs> or is not. it just too much there's a lot going on but i i really crunk i crushed it down into a into a maybe a big gulp size um cup uh let's see so hard ticket to hawaii in the hot sexy state of hawaii an agency officer and her former colleague run afoul of a drug lord and his lackeys during a payment drop-off. They team up with other agency members to track down the drug lord, kill his minions, recover stolen diamonds, rescue their kidnapped ally, and save the population from a contaminated mutant snake while topless 50% of the time. Wow, that is really (laughs) good. That is nice. I'll watch that movie. That's pretty much the movie. Yeah, like you, you got it. Movie. You got it all in there. And maybe and we're you gonna... can help with my summary of nineteen, whatever it is that we do next year. <laughs> next <laughs> no, dude, you're great, man. <laughs> well, there there is a uh, a lot more to comb through in that beautiful summary that you had there, David. That was that was uh, well done. But man, where do we start? So let's, um, you know, uh, one more thing before we do. Whose first time? Whose first time watch was this? Brent and David. I feel like it's first time watch for you guys. Yes. Yeah, yeah. First time yeah. watch, long time fan. <laughs> uh, yeah, first time was uh, not too long ago, a couple days ago. Uh, so, okay, fantastic. As uh, of this recording, <laughs> Ek, how about you? When did you first see this? Uh, I'm relatively new. Also, I had seen clips many, many times and then kind of other collector friends. This is a very desirable tape. It's one of the few I don't own of his because it's just extremely expensive. But I kept seeing clips, especially I'm sure a couple that, you know, we're going to discuss 
And I thought, oh, I got to watch this. So I pitched it to Mariah and we covered it on our podcast on Laser Graves. And it was a blind watch going in first time. And we were not prepared for <laughs> what we were sitting down to watch. Like, I thought it would be a kind of a quirky little action film, but I... I had no clue and I I instantly fell in love and that was that was kind of the beginning of it all for me was I knew his stuff I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit more too but when you're you know a child in the in the 80s and 90s you're going to catch random and once you know his style and the look of his films you know you've seen bits and pieces when channel surfing um but it all kind of clicked once I saw this I thought oh this is who this guy is okay and then then I went down the rabbit hole, but yeah, only, you know, a couple of years ago, really. Yeah. It's, it's um, kind of what, what you mentioned is, is what happened with me. I saw this movie. I want to say it was 92, 93, somewhere in there real late night. It was either USA or TNT. Those channels used to run like after I think like 11, they would run these like sexy action movies or sexy horror movies it was like usa up all night um kind of which was a great you know segment but um and joe bob briggs but that was more horror stuff i think uh, mm -hmm. the uh so i caught it there and didn't think of it really again till somewhere like it was around 2017 or 18 that um I saw a clip of the Frisbee sequence and was like, what is that? It looks so familiar. So I tracked it down, rented hard ticket to Hawaii and fell madly in love with the, with Andy Sedaris. So then I bought the DVD set with all other, all, all 12 films and went through them all. And my God, they are, they are something special. Wait, every so one you've of seen them. every single one of them. Oh yeah. In order too. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I feel like I need oh. to borrow your set. I, you, I got to I got to catch up. You do. Yeah. I don't understand how I missed it. I feel like this would have sat nice and pretty right in the middle of like like bookending either like the Shannon Tweed block or the trauma block of other <laughs> things that I was like probably consuming at that time. So I just don't even It's just I don't you know, know how so it was not on my radar. Sometimes these movies just slip past you. You you know, you're you're watching something and it goes right by you. You didn't even know it. So many slipped by though. There were twelve. I don't. That's a, that's a big twelve mess. times. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, all right. I mean, this movie is so bananas. Let, let's let's get into it. So, uh, these movies, the Andy Sedaris films, Donna, like we mentioned earlier, Donna Spears is pretty much the lead for the first six or seven of them. It's usually features her as Donna Hamilton, agent Donna Hamilton, and one of the Abilene cousins. So in every movie, there is a, a male agent with the last name Abilene, but it was a different character played by a different actor in each uh, in each film. But it's kind of an inside joke that it was like there's an endless stream of Abilene cousins, but it's always Donna Hamilton and, and you have... Uh, in this film, you have Taryn, who's played by Hope Marie Carlton. Both uh, both are Playboy playmates. And uh, she, I think, lasts three films. So the Donna Taryn team up uh, does go on for a bit. But yeah, route... she's in right after for uh, Picasso Trigger. She's right there. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Which, which yeah. may be my favorite movie title ever. Yeah, it's great. Picasso Trigger. Yeah. I don't think there's anything about Picasso in that movie. 
by the way. <laughs> but it'll Let's, make you rent is it. it. Is yep, it yeah. an art heist instead of drugs, at least? What's I don't think so. I I, I haven't seen that in a bit, but I, I don't think there's uh <laughs> think that's it. It's just Man. a catchy name, but um Okay, so Rowdy Abilene is the uh, is the male lead here, played by Ron Moss, who many would recognize from uh, daytime soap opera uh, television. Who can describe what this agency is? Because they don't. Yeah, it's confused. They're like it's a the agency group. is confused. Yeah, right. It's they're like an it's... undercover GI Joe kind of like agency, right? They're pretending to be shipping a shipping company and. Uh... And, you know, so they can have like regular jobs, which lets them get to different places. And uh, I, I, you know, I don't know, under the cover of this company and uh, and they've got allies on the al- on the island that keep keep their eyes open. So they're they operate under the operate under the radar, uh, you know, without like offic- in an official capacity, I think. Right. Is that the idea? Yeah, is it like Charlie's Angels? Like, I feel yeah, like it's yeah. like, yeah, this- it's kind of like that. I mean, they're they're like the like the DEA. I mean, is the only thing I can equate it to. Um, they I don't are... think the DEA is anything like this. <laughs> I don't. I they mean... don't have a shipping company. <laughs> I think no, no, I'm no. pretty sure they'd have a lot more people working for the DEA if the DEA was like this. Like... I mean, the stuff that they're investigating is like drugs and guns and, you know, that that's what they're, they're looking Toxic for. Toxic snakes. Well, to- yeah, that's by accident, though, in this one. <laughs> but that's they're like, sh- sh- uh, yeah, yeah. But they are using Molokai Cargo is the name of the uh, shipping company that they use as a front so they can get around the island and go to all these places and kind of unofficially investigate. Yeah, I know we're not doing a whole walkthrough, but how great is the opening credits? The way it's I just think it's so clever and fun and it just sets the tone right away. You know, could have just been your standard overlays, but instead... It's just fun. It feels more like a strange independent film. That's something like, that you would see on a low budget film. Yeah. But they're they're like hand drawn paper. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's, it's so fun. With that like yeah, no, military it, it font, you know, yeah. like the A team font. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the closing credits are the same. It's it, it's it is kind of brilliant. It's like brilliant, but also like Yeah. How intentional you know, like is it intentionally I don't know. It's <laughs> this movie's hard to dissect that way. Well, it is because it's it's kind of like to me. There's there's a similarity between Ed Wood and Andy Sedaris. Like, does he view these movies as quality? You know, as high quality, and like this is my this is what I this is the art that I wanted to make, or is he just you know he knows what it is and he's just churning it out? I think it's more of that. But uh, I think it's got to be right. It it's has to be. be like yeah. he like you said earlier. You know, like he found kind of this formula, and just you know was making. You have to imagine decent returns on on these flicks, and so he's like, I'm just going to stick with this tried and true formula, and if A and B don't quite connect, ah, whatever. Let's just you know, let's, uh, let's patch it and, and, and keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. I'd say that the dialogue is an indicator that it was fully intentional. Like the one-liners mm-hmm. in this that are just throughout, you, you can't, I mean, there's so many to get to, but <laughs> yeah. the one-liners alone tell me he was fully aware of how funny this was and wanted to make it as campy as possible because Again, I'm going to go back to this idea of that's going to make you want to rent the next one. If you're laughing and you're having fun 
and you know that he's having fun with it too, you're kind of, it's buy-in for it. You want right. to, you want to hear the one-liners in the next film because mm-hmm. this one was so funny. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's like, smart. Like how bonkers is it going to get? Like, I want to see, I want to see what the next, like, just crazy thing is that they, that they throw at you. Yeah. Cause there's plenty, there's plenty in this one. Yeah. And again, I haven't seen any of the others, but I have to imagine if you're building off that, you're absolutely right. EK. Well, this one, I mean, I think this is the one that has the most crazy stuff. Like, there's yeah, this no, is the pinnacle. Yeah. Yeah. There's no toxic snake uh, running around uh, in the other films. Although maybe there should are there, be. Are there more frisbees? No, no frisbee. This is it. This is that it frisbees. for frisbees. Yeah. Freaking awesome. Um, <laughs> so we meet we meet our, our lead special agents, or one of them, which is Donna Hamilton, and Karen, who behaves like an agent, but isn't an agent at all. She's in what, David, right? Witness protection, right? I, I think that's it, right? Like she's not, she, wasn't she part of the agency though? And then had to, no, no, no. she's, just, she's in witness protection. Her. And I think Donna is assigned to her, but okay. also lets her come like on tag along and team up with her on, on her crazy adventures. She kind of like works with the works at Molokai, right? Like she went on the, yeah. right. she was in the plane and she's part of this adventure. Right. <laughs> So the, so we meet them as they as they pick up uh two you know a couple who are going to another part of the island and uh inadvertently a we see that there are two crates of live snakes right and one of them is the the sign of that that this one is toxic and beware has knocked over and so these two Molokai cargo workers incorrectly load the toxic snake into uh, <laughs> into Donna and Taryn's uh, uh, plane that they're using to bring the passengers. So, so we're set up right there. We know some something's going to happen with this uh, with this snake. A lot, lots going to happen with it. But it, it, it kind of it's it's like this looming threat this whole this whole time. It's not even it's it's a sort of this this like haunting thing that's a going to happen, but they just don't get around to it a lot. I mean, yeah, like they do eventually, years. but yeah, yeah eventually. It, it's a long setup. It's a big, it's long setup. Then the you know, snake those... is snakes, a metaphor. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of the best uh, puppet snakes around that I've seen in, in Hollywood history. It's, it's certainly horrifying in it's look. And uh, <laughs> like, it's just this like greasy, garbage mutant snake thing <laughs> yeah. uh, with humongous fangs, just yeah. absolute like ridiculous fangs. And, and but, so, so what, what, what do we know what happened to the snake? It ate toxic rats and stuff or cancer rats. It, it or... was, it was infected by deadly toxins from cancer infested rats. Cancer infested rats. Yeah. That checks out. Yeah. That's how that goes. That's, science that's, guys. Science. That is how science works. Yep. If you eat a cancer infested rat, you get cancer. That's yeah. that's it. That's how it spreads. Well, you I could... mean, that's really how the Ninja Turtles were created. They were they were eating <laughs> Splinter true. and just nobody wanted to admit it. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's that got dark quick. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm here all week. Guys. I'm here all week. <laughs> 
Uh, okay, so, <laughs> and these these passengers, these innocent passengers, have the worst fate in this entire movie. Uh, yeah. When they they get dropped off, which is also like doesn't make any sense either. So they the uh, Donna and Hope uh, or Donna and Taryn drop them off, and with nothing, they have like a camera and like a purse and no other supplies, and they are just gonna like live on the beach for who knows how long. I mean, it's just it worked, a day, but it was like it worked in the eighties, I guess. Yeah, just stay overnight on this beach. <laughs> like, yeah. You're good. <laughs> you don't need anything. And uh, a little bit later on, once our snake gets loose, uh, we have a great moment of the snake uh, coming upon them. And and the, the husband's taking pictures, right, of the, the wife's posing and he's taking pictures and he's able to get a snapshot of the snake as it like dives at him. <laughs> That's I'm not going to lie. That's my favorite scene. It makes me laugh so hard every time because it's like a Polaroid. Yeah. It's like a, you know, it's a travel Polaroid, like um, a postcard you'd send home. And the and it's got character in the in the Polaroid, like it's ah, coming at you. <laughs> and I, and I've oh. seen it so many times. And yet every time it's like it's the first time I've seen it. And I laugh out loud every time he holds up that Polaroid. Because the you know they're like what's on it? There's there's still one in the camera, and I know what's coming. I already know what's coming, and yet every time it makes me laugh when you see that stupid snakehead <laughs> in the shot of the Polaroid. It's like it's so like it's almost like the snake itself was posing for the yes, shot. Like yes, it has so like funny. There's the personality, and it's the way yes. it's head. And it's almost like it's smiling, like, hey, yeah. here I yeah. am. <laughs> it's like it's going for the bite and then realizes someone's taking a picture and it stops and looks at the camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A snake was here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, the, then uh, the uh, Donna and Taryn come across their carcasses later on in the movie. And it, it, it's just sad. Just this poor, that poor couple. Brutal, brutal. Um. So we also see, you know, while this is going on, there's two other, we meet two other agents who are doing what looks like a routine inspection of uh, marijuana, some marijuana growth that that um, our, our villain characters are growing. But what they come upon is a full-blown operation and, and uh, something much bigger than usually they kind of like, sounded like they take a bribe and look the other way. <laughs> And uh, but this is much bigger, so they're going to have to report it. And the the our our three thugs who we're going to meet multiple times in this movie from our our villains uh, come upon them, and they get caught in some kind of like rope bear trap type thing, and uh, get killed by uh, the villain known as Shades. That's right. The 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 minion each minion has like a particular look and style and yeah shades is the he's the bad he's the big bad threat right yeah <laughs> because cause he's got that he's got those amazing sunglasses and always walks around with a newsie yeah <laughs> yeah as one does in hawaii even when this he's like, playing frisbee yeah. <laughs> this is the the gi joe line we never got and deserve yes yeah. which is what what's what's Oh, yeah, the line of toys. Yeah. Imagine a hard yeah. ticket to Hawaii line of toys. Oh, my God. Yeah. Who needs snake eyes when you got shades? I think when you need... got the snake and it comes with a little Polaroid camera. Like, imagine <laughs> the possibilities. 
I think we need to call Arlene Sedaris up and and pitch that. That there, yeah, whole... you could have a jacuzzi that they all sit in. Like, man, it could the be jacuzzi amazing. Play set. <laughs> jacuzzi playset, and yeah. you know, think about a a, a PS five video game. Oh man! Oh my god, yeah. that would be amazing. I think it needs to be Atari. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Uh, so then right after this, the, uh, we meet uh, Mr. Chang, who is the, the leader of our, of our villains, who with the, uh, he's sending a mini, to- what looks like a toy helicopter to the main island. He's on a boat uh, out in the water, sends this helicopter out to the uh, island, and it drops like right in front of Donna and Taryn. Uh, who open it up and realize there's there's like two boxes of diamonds like in there. And it was intended to go to these three henchmen, the three minions who are late on arrival to, uh, to the pickup. And it leads I think to it's pretty... a fight, right? Yeah. One of our first action scene, really. Yeah. The, the helicopter is pretty ingenuitive. It's like, uh, you know, the, it's a drone before uh, the drones were, were uh, around. That didn't look like a cheap thing that, that, you know, for 1987, that was like a well-engineered, you know, dude, my next door neighbor actually had one of those like remote control helicopters. <laughs> yeah. It'll cost dude. you a diamond. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. At least one diamond. <laughs> yeah. Did he transport diamonds with him? Uh, you know, I don't know. He was, you know, he, he was shady. Yeah. So maybe. <laughs> um, so but- we get our first action scene and, this is where immediately Donna throws tosses out this this uh, throwing star, takes out one of the one of the like hits one of the uh, minions in uh, in the uh, shoulder, and then <laughs> did Taryn grab a set of nunchucks and just toss them? Yes, that happened. <laughs> nunchucks are all over this movie and are never used as intended. <laughs> no, <laughs> right up to the end, they're just yeah. Not. They're, they're not just, used at all. They're just used to bash things. Like you might as well yeah. be walking around with a rock or like or a hammer. Like yeah, yeah. She oh, literally fuck. chucked the nunchucks. There's yeah. a scene where there's multiple like the, the the multiple sets of nunchucks as though like okay we're getting ready for the final confrontation. Like here are my nunchucks, and then they're never used <laughs> like in the way they're supposed to be. Well, they have the word chuck in it, so she's that makes sense. She would think to just throw mm-hmm. it. The yeah. nunchaku, uh, that's it's a cool weapon and <laughs> and very eighties. There wasn't a... enough time to train them, I guess, to use it uh, for this in time for this film, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, she's not an agent. Taryn's not an agent, so yeah, anybody can learn the nunchucks, though. <laughs> I I also has to have to say that in in recent movies, there's a like a a glaring absence of throwing stars. Like in the eighties, I feel like every other movie had a good throwing star in it. Mm -hmm. And you don't, you don't see a throwing star in a movie anywhere anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's time for the comeback. Well, and like, this is the, the, the first major injury is that, you know, that one henchman, uh, the throwing star, like hits him in the chest, like right above the, on the right side, like right above with a heart kind of thing. So like. It's very, and he's knocked down, but he's okay. Like, yeah, yeah. You know. and and they have the opportunity to like arrest these two minions, and yeah. what do they do instead? They grab half of the diamonds and run away. Yeah, 
they could have just taken the guns from the guys. Like yeah. they were on the ground. Like yeah. you, you guys won. Like, like, nope. No, they let them, the let them go. So they, so they retreat back to, you know, Donna's house where their lovely jacuzzi is, where, um, where she, she drops the famous line. Let's go to the jacuzzi. That's where I do my best thinking. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> where we all do it. I yeah. literally text John as that line was said. And I was like, this is the greatest line ever. <laughs> and that scene, it's just them standing in bikini bottoms, topless and looking at the diamonds in the water. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're not even enjoying the jacuzzi. They're just standing in there's, like they're, in, it's in they're still waist water. deep. Um, no. Yeah. They're not even yeah, like it's just like wait a You just have to be foot in the water for, to get the powers of the jacuzzi or intellectually deep conversations about diamonds. And by this point we've seen lots of bare breasts I like already yeah. like so yeah like, we've already seen it a number of times i mean i think the fir very first scene is where, where we meet donna yeah. and rowdy uh are oh, having yeah. you know a, they they're either dating or having some kind of re sexual relationship so uh nudity right off the bat you know wearing wearing shirts is hard wearing shirts is hard in this series they're heavy yeah. they're thick it's hot out why would you yeah. do it you're in hawaii yeah yeah. So <laughs> modesty is not a, you know, they don't care. Yeah. <laughs> They're having a good time. <laughs> uh, so our, our, uh, our henchmen run back off to their, uh, their boss, uh, Seth Romero, played by Rodrigo Obregon, who I think is the actor who appears the most amount of times in Andy Sedaris films. He's, he plays different characters, I think in, in like, maybe eight or nine of the 12 films he should win some kind of award <laughs> so he's the next one to uh kind of drop a great great line in this movie you dummies they got away on that cargo plane yeah uh-huh molokai cargo yeah if brains were birches you'd have a clean cage i'm <laughs> using a good that. line i'm yeah. using that um so then uh, next up is uh, we get the first kind of attack counter attack on Donna and Taryn where uh, two other two other minions, one very well, you know, muscular uh, uh, lady and uh, another miscellaneous henchman come in with the pantyhose on the head, which is one of the worst disguises because uh, you can completely still tell who it is that's wearing it but you they just got, have you, their noses you got, uh, you got squished nose yeah yeah how, how are you yeah. supposed to make that out yeah um so they come in and they pretty much kick donna and taryn's ass they kind of you know Oof, yeah get, they one up them and uh you know they're looking for the diamonds Corey, let go of me now where where are the diamonds what diamonds they gave they gave them the diamonds in the freezer right or and then, yeah, but they they thought they were hiding the other pack of diamonds. Right. Yeah, they give him the diamonds that, that the half that they took, and the other half was still out by where the the toy helicopter was. Yeah, I, I, it almost doesn't matter, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I can't I can't recall how they got out of that yeah. one. <laughs> so Donna calls Rowdy and his his partner Jade. Um, who is 
they are right in the middle of doing some heavily racist uh, martial arts uh, oh, training. Oh, God. This is a rough scene. That was a hard scene to watch. <laughs> yeah, a, I think the ticket. <laughs> yeah, the accents on top of everything were just like, ooh. Yeah, can't do rough. that today. It's like that's more offensive than like all the you know the treatment of women in this movie <laughs> like that one i no i'm pretty sure i felt like i even told you i felt like i was gonna get sued for sexual assault just for watching this movie or sexual harassment just for watching this. i was I like know. oh this yeah. is cringy yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of like stuff that i'm yeah. just like oh my god this doesn't translate so rowdy and jade uh are have to come to the not have to but are, are going to come to the uh their part of the island and team up with donna and taryn and kind of counter counter attack the counter attack again so they're going to go after seth romero and we got trouble in paradise amigo but that leads to the next amazing sequence what was her name evie cynthia brimhall hmm. was it? yeah mm-hmm. Edie, so, right? Edie, Edie, Edie. Edie. Yeah. Edie uh, is another character who's not an official agent, but she works with the agent. She runs the restaurant in town and has like eyes and ears everywhere and passes along information to the agencies, played by the lovely Cynthia Brimhall, another Playboy Playmate. And um, so she, uh, we find out that she's got a relationship with the Jade character and the, uh, the henchmen come and kidnap uh Edie and uh and she is now kind of held hostage in the uh lair of Seth Romero. Yeah. Um she had sent a uh a Jeep over for Rowdy and Jade at the airport when they arrive they're going to take the Jeep over and um meet up with everybody. And on this uh so they pick up the Jeep and they're en route to uh to meet up with Donna and Taryn and and we, we see one of the henchmen doing a handstand on his skateboard coming directly at directly at rowdy and jade it's a real threat why I, like just why why everything there it's the why 80s. This, <laughs> i mean I, this is the this is the this whole scene is what pulled me in and made yeah. me say like i have to see this movie because yeah. it's so over the top it's so absurd and it is kind of the quintessential Sedaris formula that only he would devise, pull off, and and somehow convince everybody that it made perfect sense in this universe. Like when you watch this film, it kind of it works. It, you know, you don't you don't finish any of this and go that that's ridiculous. You just accept it and move on to the next scene. Yeah, like, huh, that makes sense. Yeah. So skateboarding henchman goes past, you know, IDs Rowdy and Jade and goes past behind them is throwing star henchman who's riding another Jeep. Skateboard henchman grabs the skateboard, jumps in the back of that Jeep, grabs the blow up doll, right? Mm -hmm. And because there's a blow up doll, there's a blow up doll. They catch up to uh, Rowdy and Jade and, and start shooting at them. Jade, who's driving, gets shot in the chest. Jade, how bad you hit? I've been better, but I'll live. Let's get that turkey. Mm-hmm. And is yeah. barely affected, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shot in the chest above, again, above his heart. Like, yeah. Yeah. totally fine. Just yeah. The, yeah. Just the, 
<laughs> Another day same, in the office. Just yeah. a flesh wound. Yeah. And it's the same bullet that would have to have passed through him and somehow hit the tire that isn't actually like it, it, it throws off the steering for a minute. You figure it like it, it blew out the tire, but the tire is not actually blown out. So. This is going to have <laughs> to magic require uh, some JFK forensic yeah, analysis. This is, <laughs> this is commentary on the magic bullet. Yeah. 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 But uh, the skateboard henchman gets out with the blow up doll again, you know, riding, you know, against uh, Rowdy and Jade and, it's just enough time that Rowdy hops in the back, or they 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 back up, hit the henchman who goes flying in the air. Right, skateboard guys now hit going straight up in the air instead of you know backwards where where gravity would actually take physics, you. Hey, physics, hey, and yeah, who needs them? Yeah, yeah, this is called science. Overrated. So in the time that he is flying straight up in the air, Rowdy jumps in the back seat, opens up one of their suitcases where he has. A rocket launcher. <laughs> and he blasts skateboard henchmen into a billion uh, paper and cloth pieces that we see flying down. And then has enough time to reload and shoot out the uh, the blow-up doll. Right. The so blow-up doll also has to get. Yes. Yeah, that blow-up doll never stood a chance. <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, it really it is. is. Yeah, it's... it's probably one of the best kills in film history yeah absolutely well, it all, and it all happens so quick like yeah. it's like skateboard coming at you jump in the car and then it's just like boom you're like wait what all that and well and it happens so fast that your brain is still processing did he have a blow-up doll like it's happening so fast that yeah. by the time you're piecing together how absurd the whole scene is he's already been blown up by a rocket launcher and right. Like that's how fast all this happens. I yeah, love it. It's, it's so great. quick. Yeah. I mean, I, I I get the idea of like trying to maybe distract them and like, you know, we got to hide the hide the gun so you can get closer, but like how a how a blow up doll is provides that cover. It doesn't really work because they say <laughs> they say pretty quick, watch out, he's got a he's got a gun. <laughs> so the, the the blow up doll did not have its desired uh, effect. Yeah, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> it's crazy. It's yeah, so it's... insane. We um we forgot one very important, maybe the most important point that happened on the the attack back at Donna's house. Uh, somewhere in the chaos and fight that ensues, the cage holding the toxic snake gets knocked over, and oh, the right. snake is now yeah. free and on the loose. Yeah. Which, in the meantime, Ooh. it makes its way back to the uh, the beach and kills the two, the the couple. So, and the anyway. and the snake is it's a case of mistaken identity because there is this toxic snake that should never have been put on the plane, but it's supposed to be this like for the, like a basic snake for the zoo or something, right? Right. So, Damn it! This is a snake for the wildlife park. They think they have an innocent snake, so they're not really even concerned in all of the struggle and, mur and potential murder that the snake gets away. And yeah. uh, they couldn't so, have been more wrong about that. They, yeah. oh boy, they really blew this one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there's no way when watching this movie, you would ever get confused about why each snake got to where it was because at many times when they do have the mix up, they cut to signs that clearly state which snake is what snake and what snake is which snake. And, and, and you totally follow it. It's 
very clear. <laughs> and, and, and as snakes are not native to Hawaii, I guess. Yeah, uh, it's the first snake on the island. I yeah. think there's a line and it's in like, there. They have two different snakes in the same like same air in next to each yeah. other. You'd think there'd be like some special handling. Like somebody would be like, <laughs> "We've got animal. We've got wild animals. You know, we need to contain these in very particular ways." But it's just kind of willy nilly in that that place where they're they're painting credits on brown paper and slapping them on, <laughs> ca- on, on yeah crates and stuff. So and uh, as as the the villains are getting away, Donna ends up shooting Seth Romero in the face. Yeah, he takes a bullet in the cheek. Yeah, bullet mm-hmm. right in the cheek. Donna, as we'll we'll come back to it, but Donna continuously kicks Seth Romero's ass like all oh, over yeah. this movie. Yeah. yeah. She's Seth not to is, be messed with. Yeah. Seth but, is a threat, but she can take him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He never so, stood a chance. So after our, our uh, blow-up doll explosion, uh, Rowdy and Jade meet up with with Donna and Taryn and, and have to fi- you know figure out a counterattack. And this is where we slow down for a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> our, our associate and friend, Edie, is being held hostage and kind of tortured. Like she's, you know, her her hands are tied up and they're threatening her over and over what they're going to do to her, yet they never actually do anything to her. Right. (laughs) But while that's going on, there's no rush. There's no, there's no need to like run over there. They're going to take the night for some sweet lovemaking. Yeah. No time for war. It's time for love. Yeah. Um, so we get a, a great love scene between Rowdy and Donna and Taryn is apparently dating some sports announcer who <laughs> give us a five minute diatribe about vitamins that he's taking unknown why that needs to be a story point, but it was there. It's a GNC tie in. That's true. Just, yeah. Maybe a sponsor. We yeah. do get another one of my favorite lines during this scene. Oh, uh, do- during it's post coital. So they've now they've done their lovemaking and Donna looks at him and he responds with, I had to write it down because it made me laugh so hard. One man's dream is another man's lunch. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Rowdy is, uh, is good, man. He is that filled guy. with some some one liners. Let <laughs> me tell you. Just throwing grenades. <laughs> And we're uh, another thing that that David and I caught watching it was we're having a real hard time with our day and night scenes. It's uh, oh, yeah, yeah it, it's when Donna and Rowdy are in their love scene. It's nighttime. Um, when we cut to Taryn and the sports announcer guy, it's daytime or like evening. So there's a whole mix up of uh, I think in the editing room, they're just like, nah, fuck it. Yes, they, they either they change something in the timing or whatever, but like no, it's like you if you were to follow just the sun, you would think a full twenty four hours passed for like for them just to be on the beach drinking champagne and making love. Like yeah. it's just like well, they spent the whole like they spent a whole night and the next day and into the evening in the on the same beach, but that's clearly not the intention. Yeah, we're like, did a day and a half just go by, or is it just they? screwed up yeah um but yeah so after this once it's morning time rowdy's ready to go this is where the movie is really going to get a lot to be a lot of fun we get basically all action the rest of the way so 
Rowdy um, had spied on Shades, who the Uzi wearing Shades, casually having a Frisbee toss with some lady on the beach. That's just what he does. While he's guarding, you can toss the Frisbee around. That guard over there is wearing a walkie-talkie as well as a gun. You can probably call in an army. They take their throwing pretty seriously. What you do. Yeah. So he's, uh, and he says, I can use that. <laughs> like once he <laughs> yeah. sees the first. So he's come up with a plan and it gets revealed to us in such a fun way. Uh, he he kind of comes the next morning, he comes upon Shades and uh, this lady on the beach and and he basically tells her to get out of there, right? Uh, no, uh, no, he doesn't just tell her to get out of there. <laughs> he tells her the other quote that I wrote down for this episode, uh, if you'll allow me to say so. Please, please do. He's gonna. He's about to to enact his plan to take out Shades, but first he needs to dismiss the lady who has been playing Frisbee. After we see, might I say, some pretty sweet moves from Shades, where he's catching it and he's flipping it under his leg and all with one hand. I mean, this guy is for real. But as she is dismissed, he says, Hey, Colleen. Got a great ass. So do you, Pilgrim. And then runs <laughs> off. And I'm like, what is the dialogue in this film? And you would think that is the dialogue why i had to say it for your listeners is that's the dialogue throughout the entire movie that's what yes. you're in for if you watch this is like that's the quality that you will get yeah <laughs> it's insane so then we see you know so rowdy tags in and he's now having the frisbee toss a really aggressive frisbee toss from maybe 10 feet away uh with shades who's not questioning this dude you know, it, Shades is supposed to be guarding the lair. Yeah, doesn't but skip not it questioning why this guy's suddenly here. Uh, Rowdy turns to the camera and switches the frisbees so that we, the audience, are the only ones who see that his frisbee is now surrounded by razor blades. Yeah, right. and, not messing around. No, and no. he chucks this thing, and it's a direct hit on on uh, Shades's <laughs> throat. Well, it goes through his hand. Yeah, it cuts off his, his fingers. Yeah. 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 Hits him in the was, throat. Oh, that, man. That was some awesome effects work, but it was very quick. It just like goes through his like hot dog fingers and then into his neck. It was sweet. It's, it was it's sweet. an extremely over engineered solution to a problem that you yeah. could have just shot him in the gut. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like all you had to do is just shoot him. Like, <laughs> no, but then he turns around right after and you know it was a good plan because he does the like. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. With his yeah. arm. The fist yeah. bump. Yeah. So psyched it worked out. Oh, so good. <laughs> oh, brilliant. And Shades, who seemed like he was going to be such a threat, is out of the movie. Uh, out. In it's one move. Gone. <laughs> All because he, he, some dude came to, like, hey, I like throw frisbees too. Like, yeah. go check yeah. it out. Hey, so. dude, do you frisbee? Me too. <laughs> That's what happens when the competitive nature takes hold and you lose all your rationality of like the scene <laughs> is once once you have said, OK, this guy knows how to throw a Frisbee. I'm going to show him that I'm the ultimate Frisbee guy. You mm -hmm. end up with your fingers cut off and a, and a razor blade Frisbee in your neck. I mean, that's yeah. just yeah, it's the moral of the story. Yeah. yeah. Remember that, kids, when you're out there playing Frisbee. Yeah. You don't always have Dangerous. to be a winner. <laughs> 
I'm gonna put down my Uzi and t- I'm gonna I'm gonna show this guy who's the best frisbee thrower and catcher. <laughs> yeah. We weren't even doing anything anything interesting. That that under the leg thing that was supposed to be the big acrobatic move. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, also the, was the flourish. Yeah, yeah. When I uh, when I ordered this uh, DVD set directly from the uh, Andy Sedaris uh, website. It came with, I think, did I get a t-shirt? I got a, I definitely got a Frisbee with it. So that one did not oh, come with razor blades. You ordered but... yours from the website. That's why. Yeah. I didn't. I got mine off of, uh, you know, just like Amazon or something like that. So it was just the DVD set. That would explain why. You got the special treatment. Yeah. So, and you're ordering it like directly from Arlene Sedaris and yeah. uh, you get a Frisbee with it, but not one with razor blades. No, I don't have that. But what I did bring for the show and tell portion for you guys, because I always have to, is we didn't talk about the amazing opening theme song, Hard oh. Ticket to Hawaii, which is catchy as hell. Like it's it a is good, great. It's, it's, it's a jam. Brilliant. It really and is. I uh, let's see if you can see it or not. Uh, how do I is do it, this? Is that on vinyl? There we go. It's on vinyl. Oh There's my the God. soundtrack to Hard Ticket to Hawaii there. Wow. That's, That's impressive. awesome. That is pure gold. And it's uh, pressed on snake green vinyl. <laughs> oh, wow. Where did you, where'd you score that? Uh, it was put out by a company a couple years ago. They did a, a limited release. On the back, there's the um, shot. Man, you can't really see it with this thing. Anyway. There's the oh, he's shooting, yeah, yeah. shooting him yeah. in the air with the rocket launcher. Oh man! And it opens up. It's gatefold, so it's got all the artwork. It's it's pretty special. That's awesome. That that proves like one right the... there. There's a there is a big cult following. If they if is. if it's if they're willing to make the put the money into producing that, that means there's an audience for it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you guys Mondo Mondo tees Mondo posters. They also do vinyls. It looks like something that that they would have done. But I yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's cool. That's super cool. Yeah, that is uh, that's that's pure gold right there. Yeah, that theme song is also it is awesome. That was another thing. Like when I was listening, when I was watching it, I was texting John. I was like, this theme song is great. Yeah, that yeah, I mean, that, the this opening... is everything though. This is there is a, so many tracks on here. I'm not joking when I say there's probably 20, 20 cues per side. Like, really? They're all, you know, like a <laughs> minute all long, there. but they're all jams. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Well, they do such a good job of like setting the tone right in the beginning of like, mm-hmm. this is what you're, you're here for. So we're getting right into it. Um, all right. So then the, the attack on Seth's compound is on. So Rowdy is ready to go with his rocket launcher. Uh, Donna and Taryn have changed into their kind of badass wardrobe now. And uh, it's a full out attack. And we've got a lot of action happening. Uh, Jade is there. Who's got kind of a showdown with a martial arts showdown with somebody as he's trying to rescue Edie. And then once he, once he takes out the other guy, he, doesn't immediately untie Edie. He's definitely got to do some joking and flirting uh, for a minute before he does it. So, which I'm sure she appreciated. As she's like dealing dealing with trauma of yeah. being abducted. Yeah. Right. Abducted and threatened a lot. He's a good guy. He's just, you know, yeah. always a stand up hero. <laughs> and, uh, 
you know, so Rowdy's got his uh, rocket launcher and he shoots another one of the henchmen who is one of the pantyhose henchmen. Um, and I love how it doesn't, the explosions are different every time he uses the rocket launcher. Sometimes they're a big explosion. Sometimes they're a little one with this guy. They just push him. It just pushes him through the wall and out, you know, onto the beach. Yeah. They're like Hawkeye arrowheads. They just, they each have their own kind of, you never know what you're going to get. Yeah. Ballistics, you know, it's just not always going to be the same. Yeah. But they're like heat seeking missiles, by the way, I should <laughs> right. say, because we'll get to it at the end. But there is some precision with that rocket launcher. Oh, yeah, it is. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. And then uh, they chase the rest of the henchmen out uh, who are all trying to get away on, on the helicopter. The helicopter takes off. But now it's Donna's turn with the rocket launcher. And boom, one more explosion. And we lose pretty much all of our all of our villains and it feels like maybe a happy ending right mm-hmm. uh donna opts to uh post fight donna opts to go back to the house while the rest of them are riding i guess they're bringing Edie back to wherever she's going so uh and then they realize there was one person they didn't see get killed and that Uh-oh. person is waiting for donna at her house and that is of course the uh now bandaged face uh villain seth romero is still alive and still there and he's come back for revenge on donna well donna proceeds to kick the shit out of him (laughs) not even a challenge yeah so so bad she like she i think she shoots him again she shoots him with a harpoon gun right Mm -hmm. stabs him Mm -hmm. like he is messed up and you think he's dead she like multiple times he's down bleeding either unconscious or dead and she steps away and then he gets back up again like three times so this fight goes on uh and she backs up into the bathroom and who else did we forget who's still roaming around oh don't forget him mr chang no, it's it's the snake. Oh, oh. Snake, the snake's got to come. The snake returns. Up. Yeah, Ghoulies, was it Ghoulies <laughs> Two yeah, style? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Right out the toilet. Right out of the toilet, and uh, it is it's the snake who's really going to spell the end for poor Seth Romero. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So even if he survived all those shootings and stabbings and snake attacks, he would end up dying pretty soon of the the cancer that was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because right. science, I guess. Or, exactly. or it could have become more of like a super shredder thing where he mutates himself <laughs> and comes back as a as a mutated super version. I feel the, like the lizard man. I feel like we have a hard ticket to Hawaii too in us in this group yes. right here that we need to get Arlene on the phone and uh pitch exactly that. <laughs> Hard Ticket to Hawaii 2, The Return of Seth Romero. Yeah. That's the catchiest title there is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And and Rowdy uh, Rowdy realizes that Seth is still alive and, and in an instant is firing out of the back of the van they're riding in in his motorcycle, just like, boom, pops out the back and, is, right. uh, and is heading back to the... Uh, to donna's house with the rocket launcher in tow oh and he arrives just in the nick of time and once again like you said these rockets they really you know 
anybody's idea of what might happen. And in this instance, <laughs> the snake is, is a real threat at this point. And you would think based on the, the level of destruction the rockets have, have created in the past, shooting it inside the house next to your partner is not the best idea. But little do we know, this rocket has been dialed in mm -hmm. to only land directly into the snake's mouth and blow its head off without right. causing <laughs> any other damage to anything around. Yeah, just it's the head. Just the head. Pretty incredible. Yeah. And it's a clean cut, too. It's a very clean cut. Pinpoint. I mean, Pinpoint accuracy. Yeah, this you is can... where I'm wondering who the Q is of the super team that we're not seeing in the background designing <laughs> these weapons because there's some, there's some only, genius going on. There's only one way to find out in Hard Ticket to YE2. <laughs> yeah. There's so much yep. to explore. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. The, so, Seth is dead. The snake is dead. But now they've got a put the final nail in the coffin for this uh this group and uh donna and rowdy go to the evil mr chang's office who st has a standoff with them and he pulls his sword out from the wall and it's going to be you know their guns against his sword and what do you you know what do you do when you when you have a sword well clearly you're going to throw it at them right yeah, <laughs> yeah. Another mismanaged use of, of a weapon. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's but that's not until after the bodyguard tries to intervene and they oh, pull right. out the nunchucks again, yeah. but beat him over the head with them until he's unconscious. Yes. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> like what? <laughs> What's going on? <sighs> Mr. Awful. Chang throws that sword like a like you would throw a paper airplane. Yeah, like a javelin. Yeah. Yeah. And they both have guns trained on them. So like what you know, this isn't even like what did he expect to do exactly? <laughs> you know. And what's his what what's his background? He's like, is he he did he say he was half Chinese, half yeah. Yeah. British? Like something like that. I don't yeah. remember what it was, but he's yeah, I feel like he was a little overly confident in his abilities with that sword. Uh, yeah, you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, he took it out very threatening. He's got multiple swords. Like, okay, you thought, like, this is a guy who can, who can really do some damage with a sword. And then he, like, holds he holds it like a child, like, for the first time. Like, <laughs> what do I do with this? And then, you know. Throws it like a dart. Throws it like a dart. Or a paper airplane. Like, ridiculous. <laughs> like. And and that actor's level of overperforming in in that role is really like he's he thinks he's in a different movie than everybody else. <laughs> well, he's he's actually just an effective actor, like versus everyone else is not <laughs> at all. That's so like, he's true. Not, I don't think he's overdoing it. I think he's 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 pretty much just he's earning his paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. He's doing a good job, <laughs> but he but he's so like. Like campy and arch, like well, the whole, you know, yeah, it stands out, you know, uh, when, so, when he's in a room with all of them. So yeah, I could have done for a couple bullet dodges with a blade, you know, something. Yeah, would have been yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, just one or two, just one or two minor stunts. You don't even have to make it dangerous. Just do something cool, like. And it's like yeah, I mean, there's there's really nothing done for these villains and the henchmen. I mean, Shades has a look. But everyone else is just kind of generic and like they're like buffoons, you know, they're 80s henchmen mm -hmm. that just 
like stormtroopers. They're just fodder and are completely right. ineffective. Like there could be exactly like you said, David, like, why don't you do so have them do something cool like that? Make them actually threatening. But nope, that's not that's too much. We don't need to we don't need to see that. We just want to see that, well, the good guys kick ass. It'll take it'll take a third of the day to shoot. We don't have time. Like let's we gotta we gotta get this done in a week. Yeah, by the way, Andy <laughs> Sedaris was still directing Monday Night Football and Wide World of Sports while he's shooting this movie. Wow. wow. So the for his first three movies, um, he is shooting Sunday through uh, maybe it's just wide world of sports that he's shooting. So he's shooting the movie Sunday through Thursday, and then he's shooting wide world of sports Friday, Saturday, and he's traveling back in like all night in between sets. So crazy, crazy schedule. But um, so, yeah, so then we, uh, we have, Oh, they, uh, they, they end up just tossing Mr. Chang out the window and uh easily disposed of that villain and then we've got our happy ending then we've got all our characters together again they're on the they're on a boat just uh having a good time and 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 realize like they've got the other they've got the diamonds but because they're all agents they can't uh they can't take it except our friend taryn is not Mm -hmm. as we recall not an agent so, but she's happy to take the diamonds and spread the wealth amongst her friends. Yeah. <laughs> I so like how one so of them nice. says, he's, he goes, can she do that? And then the other guy goes, oh yeah, you know, like she can. Nobody has any moral dilemma at all about using these diamonds to just travel the world and go, right. you know, live it up. I mean, it's pretty, it's a great ending. Yeah. Never mind where they originally came from or no, 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 it doesn't matter. No, on the Malibu, on the Malibu Express, mind you, like that's the name of the sh- the boat that they're on too. Yeah. That's a nice little tie-in. Oh. We didn't even discuss all the posters in the apartment. Yeah, go, go for it. All the other, so the the whole apartment is decked out in movie posters of his previous films, which they acknowledge, and I thought that was yeah. really funny. So it is a very fun inside joke for people who know his films that he is openly you know talking about the other films that he's made in this universe and i i think that's really funny to me yeah it's uh it's a self reflexive piece really yeah yeah <laughs> um and then we working we've got on multiple it. levels <laughs> yeah it's art it's art <laughs> uh the then we get our end credits and it's really just a recap of everything we just saw a lot of lot of love making a lot of cool action um, you know, we see shades again. It's a good uh, walk through memory lane, <laughs> all with the lovely theme song. That's right. Yeah, yeah. You got a nice little recap. That's a yeah. lot of fun. In case you forgot the last hour and a half, here's some of the things that happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. So how do we uh, how do we feel about this movie now? You guys have fun with it, or does it? Uh, you know, it, it's. A lot of these, or probably all of the Sedaris movies, from a certain perspective, are going to be very difficult to watch. I mean, you couldn't make these movies today. They're very ex- the exploitation on beautiful women is, I mean, it's overflowing with it. And then you have a little bit of racial things here and there throughout. But at the same time, I just have a really good time with this movie. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I don't think know. It's difficult. It doesn't hold. It's not going to hold up. I mean, obviously, but at the same time, the general impression is the women, especially, are in on the joke the right. whole time as well. Like they don't feel, at least, it's coming across this way. And because mm-hmm. they did multiple films, it seems this way too. Is that everybody kind of collectively agreed? We're making this independently. We're kind of all a group that works together. Let's just have fun with it. And so for me, that's part of the reason why, unlike some other films in the 80s that feel very forced and feel like maybe not everybody was was having a good time, this feels like a party that we just kind of got invited to. And either you you get it or you don't. And yeah. it's okay that it, you know, of course it's not going to age well, but it also it's it's a blast and it seems like everybody involved um did have a good time making it yeah i don't think you know these actor any of these actors are doing things that like andy sedaris is making them do that they didn't want to do you know they all seem to have a good time many of them come back movie after movie after movie i mean they're trying to keep their careers going post playboy which is always I think a challenge, you know, for, for a lot of those, um, performers and, you know, it seemed like it was just fun. Like there was, especially, you know, when you get even to the Julie strain years later on, like she loved making Andy Sedaris films, you know, I mean, they're right center, you know, right front and center on the poster and everything. And, um, yeah, I have not heard of any real like negative, uh, stories about him or any of the the process of these movies being made so so at least there's that yeah i don't have any discomfort with this in terms of in, versus where i would have discomfort with hollywood films where mm-hmm. it's essential that this actress needs to take her top off because that's you know because the male director wanted it or the studio wants it or whatever and you know these are these are all beautiful people who are very comfortable with their bodies and are gonna make a cheesy action movie and yeah we're like, like you said ek it's like we're invited to the party like they're they're doing this because and that's just the that's the life they're living you know so like that's kind of that's kind of cool i think you can sort of get that that um that all being said like you know i i had fun watching this with you john but my god like <laughs> There's a different like I'm not like I I don't I don't care about that like, I hate that I hate this movie. But <laughs> I, 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 I had a good time with it. Like I get it. I get it. Yeah. I'm, in, I'm in on the joke, but I don't like I don't care for it. Like this doesn't like excite me. Like I don't want to see the others. But I I but if it was like hey let's as a group or you know let's I'm gonna watch this. Like I, I wouldn't have a bad time. It'd be fine. It, it's an know. acquired taste. Certainly, yeah, and I'm, I and I have no problem with people liking this, and and I, I it's fine. Like, <laughs> I don't, and I'm not above it, or I don't think like I, I didn't make a fucking movie. I've never made a movie. I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, this is people making movies, having fun, beautiful locations, beautiful people, and it's 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 harmless. Like, really, it's just mm-hmm. harmless shit. Like, so why not? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as david on this one i mean i think i kind of chalk it up with like similar to my feelings of megaforce like i don't think i would ever watch megaforce again but i would watch it with a group of people you know because i think that anybody who's like on board for the absurdity of it like i'm down to enjoy it together Mm -hmm. you know so that we can we can watch and have a good time but like like david was saying i don't think that i'm gonna 
seek out the other movies to watch, you know, by myself because no one else in my house is going to sit down and watch these with me. But <laughs> but the next time That's next time shame. I'm in. Yeah. Next time I'm in town, John, like I'll totally hit, hit it up with you and watch, you know, with with you guys. I'd be I'd love that. Right. But I I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to ask you to send me your your box set. I think there's a uh, Malibu Express Picasso trigger Savage Beach uh, screening coming up. <laughs> oh boy, I'm in. <laughs> Is it? Uh, and, and it's it's the same formula. It kind of it's just beautiful. Yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yep. always and the guns, same. Yeah, and there we go. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yep. Is I have a question that I didn't bring up earlier, but uh, so after watching this, now it. it it reminded me of the scenes that were playing on the television when Robert De Niro was visiting Sam Jackson in Jackie Brown. Yeah. And is I, you know, I always like, I, I can never really track sometimes where Tarantino is pulling his, his like references from, but is what Sam Jackson watching there, the girls with guns thing, like is that influenced by these movies and and hundred percent, yeah. Okay. It's it's definitely it, you know that was shot by Tarantino, but it was definitely out of the world of '90s Andy Sedaris, which is led by Julie Strain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I it, it it like immediately reminded me of that, and I was like, yeah. oh, this like I wonder if that's where that came from. A hundred percent. Yep. Okay. Got it. Um. So yeah, there's really there's no. This may be our first episode with no box office glory because there was no box office to be had here, uh, releasing straight to video and and like we talked about straight to uh, cable TV and and it was a I'd, I'd have to guess that it was a huge success there. Like we we kind of already covered all that, but um, I think there's a long shelf life, and I think now there's the cult status of all his films have grown again like so many of the movies that we've we've talked about that uh now there's a whole other other generation who's into these movies or or our generation kind of finding them again yeah i, I would say it's it's this isn't going to go past the millennials uh are, are, <laughs> no probably and, not that's probably it yeah yeah so we now have the resources to find the videotapes or the dvds and yeah. you know, the dvds are on sale on the website like so it's it's uh, you know it, back then when these things were so hard to find or whatever like yeah they're they sort of like um you know some sort of idol or grail like we gotta find you know we gotta find these things and now we have access we're we're all ad adults with money and mm -hmm. en enough to you know find these things and buy them for ourselves so yeah but i don't think a new generation's getting into it <laughs> i have my sincere doubts on that one I'm I'm curious, EK, because you mentioned it earlier in the in the show uh, that this particular movie, Hard Ticket, is kind of a an expensive tape to get. What what does it go for? Oh, I think you could expect to pay a hundred bucks minimum. Any wow, day. Really? yeah, it's it's just a desirable tape, and I, I guess I would wrap that into. Kind of my my thoughts on this film my final thoughts on this film would be the reason why it's a bit more valuable and more sought after is because if you don't know who who andy is 
this is the film to watch. Like if you're going to mm-hmm. have one film to recommend and you want to know what he's about, this is the this one. Is the one. I would say after this, you're watching it on your own. Don't expect to be this entertained. But um, if you're into these films, you'll have a good time, but you'll mm-hmm. not reach this this level again. And I think because the general collector out there maybe doesn't need to have or understand why you would watch 12 of these, but they do want to have that one. And my suspicion is exactly what you guys have already touched on is that it's a fun group watch when you know Mm -hmm. somebody has a snake puppet on their hand. It's clearly a hand puppet. Yeah, hand puppet. And there's people with razor blade, you know, frisbees and stuff. It's going to be a guaranteed good time with your friends. I don't see those same friends being like, now let's watch 10 more in a row. Yeah. So I feel like this is the one that's going to be a knockout at a party. Um, and so it makes sense that it would be mm-hmm. the most desirable one of his films. And I think it's it's uh, I think it's okay to like to enjoy movies like this too. Like we we like our Godfathers and Chinatowns and you know uh, Raging Bulls, but Joe there's also the volcano. a Joe versus the volcano. <laughs> um, we but there's also a place for these that like you don't have to take these these are just for fun you don't have to take it so seriously it's okay to like both kinds of movies yeah absolutely like if you're looking for a tight like christopher nolan-esque you know uh experience like this isn't it but if you're looking for something goofy that's a lot of fun to watch i think with a group of people especially like like this is this is that like you can have a lot of fun with this if you're ready to be silly and like check all like kind of you know filmmaking preconceived notions at the door and just go along for the ride like you're gonna have a good time with with this yeah movie. i i don't know how we missed this in college brent we should have uh we should have been all over this one i dude i missed this in life man yeah. i mean like i said i was i was so focused like i mean at almost the same time, like I, I I saw so many of the trauma movies. Like I was just thinking about it more like throughout the course of recording. That like the trauma movies were my like hard to ticket to Hawaii. Like that's where my focus was, I guess. You know, like Toxic Avengers, Sergeant Kabuki Man, like Class of Nukem, High, Tromeo and Juliet. Like I was in love with all those movies at the time. Uh, and these very much feel like kind of they're all they're kind of in the same vein just a different genre of 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 film right mm-hmm. but that's those caught my attention and these i completely missed well now you've caught up with it so yeah uh it makes and- me wonder what the comedic version like what's <laughs> what what is the, what is the comedy version and the uh you know the drama like like there's got to be other ones <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll have to keep finding them, and we'll we'll talk about them here. So, uh, I had a great time looking back at this, and uh, Ek, it's always such a pleasure to have you on the show. Tell us what's happening at Laser Graves. What's coming up that uh, we we can expect? Well, we finished, I'd say, um, our first ever two part series. We'd always talked about doing it, but we did a two part series on the band Depeche Mode thinking that it was going to be a simple undertaking, not realizing that they didn't just put out one one good album and call it a day. They put out 
nonstop good albums for 40 years, and it was a lot more work than we had planned on. So we had to take a little break after that, but we're coming back. We've got a bunch of good uh, shows coming up and a bunch of good deep dives on personalities and events from the 80s, like always. So we've been really busy there and and having a lot of a good time. And I would, if you don't mind, take a moment real quick for for some of your listeners may enjoy this. I did start a new page recently. My One of my passions for collecting is for post-apocalyptic films. And recently I created a new page called Renting the Apocalypse. And it's completely dedicated to post-apocalyptic films and just kind of all the from everything from foreign art house ones to all the way to like super goofies to the classic wastelands and it's just been a a lot of fun for me so if anybody's into not only mad max but a a lot more beyond that um you know check that out because i've been having a lot of fun doing that and that's on instagram right yeah it's yeah it's called renting the apocalypse nice awesome all right so renting the apocalypse Laser Graves, check it all out there and, and see what EK is up to and what's going on in his world. And uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. And uh, also thank you to our friend Curtis Moore for the poster. As usual, that's always a fun, uh, fun piece that he does for us. And um, you can check us out. We're at Reconsidimation Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, check out our archives at reconsidimation.com. Give us a give us a rating and a review that we always appreciate that. And it helps boost the show. And uh, we've got some other fun episodes coming up because the the sizzling summer of sensational cinematic shenanigans continues uh, with a very special look at, I believe, somebody that you've covered on Laser Graves. We're going to take a look back at Weird Al and UHF. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be a fun one. You yeah. guys will like that. So we're going all the way from 1987 to 1989 so a big yeah. big jump ahead <laughs> yeah dogs out the window it'll be fun <laughs> yeah <laughs> excited yeah, for that one check uh check uh ek's episode on laser graves of weird owl that was a really excellent one as well um all right guys well thank you very much for for uh hanging in there with our ticket to hawaii and <laughs> uh, i think our agency needs to get back to the jacuzzi so <laughs> Yes. We'll see you next time on Reconsidimation. Take care. Bye now. snake in it marked contaminated on the Molokai continent. All snakes eat meat. They swallow animals whole, often larger than themselves. Many snakes simply grab their victims and swallow them alive. Ugh.